And hello, movie lovers. And tonight, I'm actually joined by one of my good friends, and that's Abby from Motor City Nerds. We're here to talk about True Romance, which is also stars Patricia Arquette, and it also stars Christian, uh, yeah, Christian Slater. How dare I do that to myself? But yes, Christian Slater stars in True Romance. This is also written by Quentin Tarantino. It's great to have Abby here with me to do this review. And without further ado, let's go on ahead. Let's get on with it. And hello, Abby. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to talk about this. That's me too. And let me just say this. I think True Romance is a dumb title for this movie. I was saying, I was like, I do I know what I would always do with guys I was seeing? I would watch them. I would make them watch Natural Born Killers first because I was like, that's still a a love story. And then I'd be like, hey, you should watch this True Romance. They're like, meh. And then I'm just like, or I just wouldn't tell them the title at all. And then they'd be all about it. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, in the front row, asked me this. She goes, wait, you guys are reviewing a chick flick? I said, no, it's not what you think. Then whenever I told her it was about uh, this guy who winds up stealing cocaine from a from a gangster, she's like, wait, that's not exactly what I had thought it was going to be. I said, exactly. Right. But, well, but I will yeah. say this. If that I mean them being in love is the entire thing. And that's what the whole thing is about. So I don't think there's a better title for it. It's like everything they're doing, they're doing for love throughout this whole thing. They're not criminals. They fell in love. Exactly. And so, but that being said, this movie came out on September 10th, 1993 at a budget of 12.5 million. And it made 12.6 million at the box office in 1993. And since then, it actually had a little bit of a cult classic, a little bit of a cult, following i actually saw this movie about six years ago for the for the very first time on direct tv and i fell in love with this movie because not only because it's like written by quentin tarantino but this is also the same director who winded up giving us um top gun the very first top gun movie as well but underneath the surface of it all this is actually what i think of is a love letter to, to guys to be honest with you this is every guy's fantasy if you think about it at the very oh. start of this, we have, you know, we ha- we actually have Christian um, Slater's character who is talking to Darla, which is, that's who I'm going to call her. I'm going to name her Darla from The Crow. Yep. And she's talk- he's talking to her about Elvis, about the music, about all this stuff. And the Kung Fu movies is going to go to the movies to see these, to see two Kung Fu movies. And the first thing I thought to myself, dude, this is like the ultimate guy fantasy right here. You're talking to somebody and you're hoping that maybe there's a connection with that someone at the bar and maybe you might get a date with her, but you're not quite sure if it's going to go that way, but you're hoping it's going to lean that way. Darla just looks at him like, yeah, dude, uh, I don't, that's, that's not for me. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where you're trying, especially when you're just like socially not able to keep back your nerdiness or something and you're like right. no, i really am all about that and i can't hold back talking about it so excited and so it's just like sir what like, like i was with you for a minute there until you started getting real geeked about the kung fu movies and that's just not my cup of tea and this character really is so much like quentin tarantino i'm like i think this is some of his best writing and it's overlooked Oh, I think so, too. This is also very relatable. The characters are relatable to this. It represents us as in the nerd culture as well. And it's represented as us as basically Christian Slater's character. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
I don't, I, I don't, they, them falling for each other in the first five minutes, it feels organic. Like it feels genuinely organic where sometimes I can feel forced, like even in like pretty woman and stuff, it's like, okay, whatever. But in this, in the first five minutes, we're like, no, there's a genuine connection here. They genuinely like each other. And I feel like that's kind of hard to do. It's such a good movie, yeah. Rossi. It's also underrated, not to mention, it's a very underrated film. Nobody really checks this movie out. And like I said, if it wasn't for DirecTV, I wouldn't have checked this out like six years ago. And this is actually one of the very first reviews I've done solo by myself whenever I opened up the channel. So to be oh. able to do this for a podcast and everything, it makes it all that much sweet now because now I have people that I can talk to to people about it and I'm not talking to myself. But, I'm trying to think of, I think my... I think my uncle rented this with us and I think I was like, I I think I was like 11. I just, I really do. And then I think I remember him being like, yeah, this has a lot more in it than I thought it did. And then I remember getting into like middle school and high school and being like, Oh, if you guys have seen, have you seen this movie, yada, yada, yada. And then we all were like kind of obsessed with it. And then we all went through our Tarantino phase and that mm -hmm. was it. And so it was just like, I'm trying to remember the first time I watched it. And I'm like, I think it was that technically. I didn't start actually like watching it. Right. My friends. But yeah, basically, it takes place at a Detroit theater showing kung fu films. That's when Alabama Whitman strikes up a conversation with Elvis Presley uh, fanatic Clarence Worley. And uh, get this: if it was any other person in the theater, if this, let's say, for instance, another guy comes in there and dumps popcorn on you, you're going to end up trying to jack them up. You're going to wind up trying to beat them up, right? Right. Right. You're, we're hoping, us guys are hoping for that one girl, that one woman that would come in and sit next to us in the theater and be hopefully engaged in conversation about the film or something like that. Well, the the that they are just in the theater of something you're obsessed with. Like, right. Oh, you and like you can be them right next to you. Exactly. And, and like, that's you like Alabama is so likable. She never, none of these characters go away from who they are and she is genuinely like a lovable goofball a little bit mm -hmm. so you're like even if i was pissed i feel like i can't get pissed at you because you're exactly just so, and then it's like i know it's a call girl thing but at the same time i, I think that's genuinely who she is like a and we're going to talk about this one scene too because the one scene i want to really touch base on is whenever you have um when we wind up seeing this seeing the character of you know, Clarence and when they're inside the comic book shop and how she's looking at him, we're going to get into that whole entire deal because I think that's very organic. And I think that's something that I want, really want to touch on in a minute, but you know, I definitely like this whole entire thing because like I said, as a guy, we would be like, how dare you drop the fucking popcorn on us? We're so fucking pissed at you. How dare you do that to us? Right. And, then, and you're interrupting my favorite thing. And you're interrupting my favorite movie. I'm into this Kung Fu thing. You're interrupting me for crying out loud. And it's like, oh, how you doing? Is like, so and like, and that's the like, thing with Clarence is he's just like, please let's. I just want somebody to talk to and hang out with that likes this stuff too. And so it was, it's, and it could come off cheesy or pushy, but it doesn't, it comes off very organic, exactly. And, and that's all in the first like two and a half minutes, right? We have a lot of setup within the very two, two minutes of this film. And if anybody else was actually sitting in that row. With him, uh, everybody else would be so envy of Clarence, where he's like, that little douchebag. I bet he's not even a big fan of this Kung Fu stuff. He doesn't know anything about this stuff. That girl should be sitting next to me. 
So there's a little bit of eeriness. Yeah. I went and saw the Batman and I was like, oh God, I felt so old and lame. But then I was like, oh, wow, this little kid said that, like this teenager said it. Like we, I got a seat by myself and then randomly, like a teenage boy, like 16, 17, sat next to me and he's like, did I miss anything? And he came in late. I was like, no, you didn't miss nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then as we're walking out, his friends are like, are you serious? You got to sit by the girl? And I was just like, (laughs) oh, good. I'm getting called a girl and not ma'am. But it was so funny. I was just like, Whatever, but it was it was adorable kind of and i was just like okay but it, it just cracked me up but yeah like right. you got to sit by the girl in the theater they were all pissed about it and it was it was funny right but that is the uh, thing but then uh, then i like how at the uh, whenever they step out she's over there doing the kung fu moves doing the whole entire thing just being geeked out with them at that point you know, you don't feel like that she's being paid, even though yes. they don't present the fact that she's being paid until after they have sex, that she is a call girl when she's only been a call girl for four days. You'll get yeah. that kind of, we'll talk about that in a minute, but she's actually having fun with them. This is like a legit organic thing that she's yeah. having. I, that's what I was going to say too, is like the second they leave the theater, it, you can tell she's like, no, I'm genuinely having fun with this guy. And I had fun learning about this thing he likes. And, and now we're having fun. And I love that. I love that whole beginning scene. I love it all. I do too. And then she's like, let's go get some pie and let's talk about our favorite scenes. I'm like, ooh, what kind of pie? I'm like a chocolate cream pie person. So let's let's do that. And so, but I like how it progresses from let's have pie to let me show you one of my favorite things that I love doing, which is reading comics. And she's over there just smiling, just looking at him. And this is where it actually works for me. This is where it sends home for me. She's like, you know what? I, I really am starting to dig this guy. He he seems like a pretty yeah. legit person. And I really am falling for this guy. Just the way she looks at him and the way he's geeking out about his comics. I mean, you can definitely tell that Alabama was having fun. Yes. And you can tell in that scene, she's like, I really like him for real. Like I genuinely really like this man. And I like, even though I might not like this thing he's talking about, the fact that he's so passionate about it, I like that. And kind of part of me makes me, I've kind of forgot about that. He, he either works or lives above the comic shop. I forgot that the comic book shop was where they went. And then I was like, she looks at him like that's her hero. Like that's going to be her hero down the throne. Right. Oh, well, it's funny that you should say that even Christian Slater's character also feels the same way. Like he's the hero in her story to want to save her from whatever disaster she's going through. So as a man, he wants to take charge. He wants to be the knight in shiny armor for her. So basically, it definitely is a knight in shining armor thing, but it's just not what you expect. No, it (laughs) goes off the reels. This is for, if you want to trick your man into watching an awesome movie that they think is a chick flick, that's not true. Romance is the one. Exactly. But then, of course, they wind up having sex. They wind up sleeping together. And then she's she wakes up and he winds up seeing Alabama hanging outside. And she's like, look, I have something to confess to you. He goes, what? And she goes, I don't know how to break this to you. I've only been a call girl for four days and I was hired by your boss to to uh, go out with you, to sit next to you. Oh, on your birthday. Yeah. On your birthday. And. She's like, and the bad thing is, I'm falling for you, and I don't know what to do. I always like that he even puts in, like, I wrote a letter. Like, I was going to dip, and I can't dip. Like, I was going to leave that and go, and I couldn't do it. And I I always really like that part of it, too. 
Me too. And then, you know, this is also too where Clarence winds up saying, well, I'm, I'm falling in love with you too. And then at that point he says, well, you know, they wind up having this conversation back and forth, right? Where basically you have this thing going on where he wants, that's whenever he, he finds out, okay, well, how can I get you out of this situation? Right. And can we talk about this really quick? Even though they're only there for like 30 seconds sometimes, this cast, because when they first introduced Drexel and Sam Jackson's there and Teaver's there and everything, I'm like, Dennis Hopper, Christopher mm-hmm. Walken, like they're not even there for a long time. And I'm no, it, this is a stacked cast. It is definitely a stacked cast. And whenever I saw Samuel Jackson's name, I'm like, oh boy, we're going to get something great. And then he's gone. I'm like, yeah. well, so much for that. Yeah. Because this is like, basically at that time, Samuel Jackson's wasn't like a household name. He was mm-hmm. just starting to get up and going because number one, you actually had a little cameo appearance in Coming to America. You also had another setup in Goodfellas oh, yeah. as well because yeah, he was actually yeah. uh, the getaway driver. And then you fast forward to two years later and he winds up starring in, in this movie. So, yeah. And then you also have... Like you said, we actually have T-Bird in this movie. We have Darla. Yeah, <laughs> so. both in The Crow, both in Detroit. I thought I was like, oh, my God. Right after I saw Darla, I was like, oh, my God, that's T-Bird. And it was just, I was cracking up. I was like, that is hilarious. But uh, also, can we talk about James Gandolfini being in it, too? Like, Yeah, a- that was surprising. And I, that, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that this was possibly how they might have been like, this is our Tony Soprano. Because you know, even through the terrible stuff he does in the movie, he's still charismatic. And I'm like, you're doing terrible stuff. But I'm always like, God damn, this cast everywhere is just great. Like, But I just want to reference that really quick. Because I was like, oh, yeah, Sam Jackson pops up for 10 seconds. How did you get these people? And this isn't a bigger film. Well, don't forget, they were not household names yet. They were just That's trying true. to be discovered. So to get them now, it'd be 10 times harder to get them now than what we did before. It's a, yeah, you look at this cast, I'm like, imagine that today. I was like, this would cost right. a fortune. Exactly. But, you know, then, of course, you wind up having, like I said, he winds up, t- this is basically where they wind up falling in love. And then the two get married the next day at City Hall and calling each other Miss, Mrs. Worley, Mr. Worley, just having a great time with, the, get, with each other. And then an appreciation of Elvis uh, visits Clarence and convinces him to kill Alabama's abusive pimp. And the pimp is actually played by Val Kilmer. No, Gerald. Yes. No, Elvis, Val Kilmer. Elvis is Val Kilmer. The pimp is... is no, no, Gerald. that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Val Kilmer was the Elvis... Oh, I thought you said uh, the pimp. I, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. And then they don't even show his face. That's why I'm no. like... That's wild. And I just always took it as that was like the, the angel and devil on his shoulder. Like, that was the bad part of his conscience. But I'm like, you didn't have to physically have Val Kilmer there. <laughs> like... No. This is a lot of people. But you know what, though? I don't, I don't think that they had the rights to be able to do Elvis or was. anything like that. And also, too, uh, the family didn't okay for them to, to let them do it. But I think the way they do it is they handle the right. Yeah. Because otherwise, it would just be an Elvis movie featuring Clarence. Well, I always think it's like his version of Elvis. Mm-hmm. It's not Elvis. It's his thoughts of right. him coming through that way but one thing this movie does do very well even though it's moving like it moves so fast but the way it has time passing and it doesn't and it's like you know exactly where we're at this is only a few days and we know that it's all jammed in 
and it's paced out very well that way. I didn't notice until this last watch through that the monologues between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, that's all in the span of one cigarette. And I'm like, and then I noticed that about when they got married, boom, 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 boom. And it just moves. It's like a roller coaster in the best way possible. Speaking of roller coasters, we do have a roller coaster scene in this movie as well. Oh, yeah. But, but, you know, I like how they set this up. And then, of course, like I said, we basically wind up having uh, Clarence wanting to be that knight in shiny armor. What does he do? He winds up, Elvis convinces him into kill, trying to kill the pimp. So he goes, look, look, Alabama, I'm going to go out for a few, a uh, few minutes and, uh, and do something. Okay. Not a problem. Be careful. Next thing you know, it, she go, he goes over to the brothel. And before then we actually have this other shot of the pimp doing like the very first introduction into his Gary Oldman's character. And you realize how dangerous he actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing about this character, because I know some people like think it's a problem and like, yeah, of course, some of the things he's saying is jacked up, but I feel like the, the, I think like the, the irony about Drexel is that he truly thinks he's black. He like truly believes that he is and acts as if he is. And it's like, it's jacked up, but it's, it adds to that character so much where I'm like, you're a bit of more, you're a bit more than just a person putting on an act. Like you truly believe like the way you're talking. And I really love when they're talking to each other with everybody in this movie, their insults, or you think the one, the other one's going to get one over on the other. Somebody has something hardcore to say right back. Drexel comes at, at him all hard and you don't think he'll outdo it. And then when he gives him the envelope and gives his monologue, it's like, okay, damn. That's exactly. And you know what, though? I like how the conversation with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and all that, and then all of a sudden, Draxel winds up shooting Samuel L. Jackson, and he's gone. But then you have, uh, if it wasn't for that scene, we wouldn't have known how dangerous Draxel yep. actually is. Yep. And most, okay, I'm just going to say this. Most people who played the pimp and dies are just phoning it in because they know they're only going to be in there for five minutes. Yeah. Gary Oldman. Goes didn't all, phone this in. Goes he all went out. In and you're sucked into this. He should have had a bigger part in this whole entire thing. But the way they do it, they handle it very well to the I point where like every single character could have their own like spin-off backstory. That's why I'm like, no, I feel like I know this Drexel character. I feel like I know Christian Slater's character. I feel like I know them as people. And that's why it hits so close to home. And I, it's, that's what I mean. I'm like, no, I think you think a lot of all these characters have layers and they're there for two minutes, five minutes or 30 seconds. Exactly. And you know what though? Draxel also to me sounds like he has like a little bit of a Cajun accent to that. He's bringing to the table, which, which is pretty cool. It has like a New Orleans kind of flavor to it. Oh yeah. Even though it's supposed to be in, um, Detroit, it has that little bit of a flair to it, in my opinion. Right. And it's almost like I said, it could come off as if this person is pretending to be something, but it doesn't. It comes off as no, he's he's acting and behaving exactly about who he is. And and it's a great I don't want to say fun character, but I let's just keep using the word charismatic, where you're like, I don't like you, but I kind of like having you on screen. Exactly. But then Clarence winds up going over to the, to his house, to the, uh, to the brothel. And I like the conversation between uh, Draxel and him. He's like, look, man, you come over to my house. You don't even pay attention to what's on the screen right now. There's yeah. somebody with tits. Now, I know right I'm now. pretty, but I'm not that pretty. Pretty. Right. And he winds up saying, there's someone with tits on the screen and you're not even, you're not even looking at that. He goes, well, and I, and you could tell that Clarence is basically, basically reciprocating 
what he heard um, on a movie movie or something like that, because he goes, look, I'm not going to go ahead and look at something that I've seen for 17 years. You've seen one, you've seen them all, basically. Yep. So I'm not going to go ahead and stare at that. Anyways, I'm not here for that. I'm here for yeah, Alabama. Yeah. We got Charlie Bronson. Right. Because look, I'm here for Alabama and she and she's going to quit. And he gives him the envelope to make to hey, look, pay him off and be done. And Draxler just looks at him like, what the hell? Who the hell do you think you are? That you think you run this game? No, you don't run yeah. this game. I run this game. And that's what and, I mean. When they do the back and forth, you're listening to Drexel and you're like, damn. And then you, it goes back and he's like, and that's that's all I think my peace of mind is worth. And that's all you're going to get out of me. And then it's empty. It's like, oh, damn. And it's they just keep one upping each other. And it's great. And it's from both of them. And it's you're cheering. You're not cheering for Drexel, but you're like, I, I think this is one of the best fight scenes in anything. I love when <laughs> this goes down and it gets crazy. Right. And then that's, of course, when we actually have Clarence, he takes out his gun. He shoots every single person inside that brothel. Then he tells the prostitute, get the fucking bag. We're gonna, I'm going to take Alabama stuff and she's getting out of here. And so she takes the very first bag that she sees underneath the bed, thinking that belongs to Alabama, but it's not. It's actually a bag filled with cocaine. And it belonging to Christopher Walken, who's also part of this pimp, the pimp, who I think that had a business transaction um, with. Yeah, the mob and him we had transactions together. Right. So I definitely like how there's like a little bit of uh, connectivity there. That, that well, was really cool. He's made it. That's the crazy part. Is like you could start watching it thinking, oh, this is just going to be about him getting her out, and then it's like, oh wait, no, that's. That's done. And then it's like, oh, this very like normal thing that everybody does on the daily. I grabbed the wrong bag. I grabbed the wrong thing. And now it's like, this is just extreme version of that. And then it goes to, we just got a bag full of Coke to, oh, this Coke is connected to a mob. And it's like, it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Right. And it's, I think that's the, the most charming part about it is that they're not criminals. They didn't set out to do nothing bad or mean or hurt anybody. They just happen to have this happen. It was just at the right place at the wrong time kind of situation where things just went all on hell on a high water, basically. And Clarence goes back over to the house with the suitcase, not knowing that it's filled with cocaine. And Alabama goes, what happened to you? Because she's covered with blood. He's got the Elvis glasses on. He goes, look, Mama, I did something bad. He goes, what did you do? I killed your pimp. And I also took your suitcase and we got to get the hell out out of here. When she says these aren't my these aren't my clothes, it, uh, that cracked <laughs> me up. But the other part of this I noticed was like, no, this is not to stereotype, but this is kind of exactly how men react to something versus a woman. Like when she's sitting there crying, and he's like, "You're that mad? Like you're that upset over this guy? Are you serious?" And then she's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's the most romantic thing you've, I've ever had anybody do for me." And it's like, I really love that because it's like. I'm I'm re I'm reacting this way. You're reacting this way. Why aren't we on the same page here? But the truth is, you are on the same page. It's just well, when you don't have context into why somebody's crying, you're thinking that, that you too. yourself did something and the wrong. Fact that it comes back with food, like and you right, it comes back with a hamburger, two hamburgers, and a diet coke. That's, That's what it comes. There's so many things in this movie that it's like I'm running out to get food. I'm but that is where, where Quentin Tarantino excels of like basic how would people talk what would you grab while you were out what would we do when we get to the motel like he's very very good at that stuff but that's always that always great when he's just like 
I came back with food and I'm getting, it's almost like they're arguing about, you told me you'd be home at nine, but you came home at 10. And, right. and that's the, that's the like funny, cute part about it. Exactly. And then this is also another thing that winds up happening. Now it's been a long ass time since Clarence went to see his father, Clifford. And at this point, you know, he goes, Hey dad, I ended up marrying somebody. Uh, I'm in a whole lot of trouble, Dad. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And you can definitely tell that Clarence's head is not in the right place or anything either because his adrenaline's going. He's talking 90 to nothing. He goes, look, Dad, I don't need no money from you. I just need to know if there's, like, any connectivity uh, at all with what happened. And if nothing happened, then we're okay. That means I can go to California and we can move on with our lives without having to worry about anything behind our back. And I like how you have that scene where we wind up seeing Dennis Hopper's character just listen, son, sit down. And he goes, I haven't seen you in over six years. And you come up to me and you tell me that you're married now. You shot somebody. You're in some trouble. You don't know what you're going to. And he goes, that's the this thing, is too like, much. He's like he's honest. though. Like <laughs> right. that's, that's the best part about throughout the whole movie is like, they're not lying. Like he doesn't go lie to his dad. And, but it, and we also get a feel, like you said, we know exactly through 30 seconds of talking, you're estranged, really. You're not really talking like that. You're, And now you're just showing up and going, I need to know through your connections at the force if there's anything illegal going on. And it's like, I don't think Clarence was the greatest guy of all time, maybe, but I don't think he was a criminal mastermind hurting people prior to this. So if I was a parent, I'd be concerned, too. I'd be like. You can kind of have your ways, but you're not a criminal. What is going on here? Right. Because, you know, you're crossed up in something that is way more than what you think think it is. You're not a killer. You're an amateur at best because you got out of there. You were lucky you weren't killed. Right. And now Why it's like when his dad comes back and says you kind of did the world a favor. It's like, dang, dad. Geez, damn. Like, All of a sudden right. your son's now the Punisher. <laughs> Right. No, I really do. But that's what I mean. Like, it's just so good with every I can't talk more. I cannot speak more highly of the how realistic it is. Yeah. And how organic it is. Also, that is actually shot in Detroit. A lot of times, like in eight mile, even they'll do shots there, but then they'll go to Toronto or something. Right. No, that was right at Atwater. Those are right on the streets there. And I appreciate that because RoboCop wasn't even filmed there. So it's like very rarely do we get to have our skyline and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, that's right wherever. But I, they, those shots specifically were right in Detroit, which I think is cool. Exactly. And then after that happens, he calls his friend Dick up on the phone and I'm not the biggest Michael Rappaport fan, but he's genuinely funny in this. He's genuinely cracks me up. I'm not a, I'm going to be honest with you too. I'm not a Michael Rappaport fan. I don't, I didn't like him when he was on Collider Live doing movie news. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, and he was in the movie Metro with Eddie Murphy. And I thought he did a really good job in that movie. Yeah. He has his moments, but honestly, I feel like, because what else does he, he'll like cover like housewives and stuff. And I'm like, I feel like you just jump onto a niche sometimes, bud trying to do that and i'm like why'd you stop doing good movies i don't understand and also but, his roommate was the inspiration for pineapple express james franco brad pitt brad pitt's here brad. doing nothing imagine getting that job i could just sit on the couch awesome how right and be a stoner and just collect my check and move on right. basically it's crazy but we'll talk about him in a minute too because he to me has the most punchable face in this movie 
because of how stupid he is, but he's also but everybody's had a roommate like that. That's right. doing something that's pissing you off. Right. You're right. Yeah, we call Michael Rappaport uh, out in California. Oh my God, his acting. Um, it sucks. Oh my God, that was <laughs> so, so bad. Oh, he goes, Two and a half men. She's and Edward says her hands. Yes. And she's like, okay, here's the script. Now read it. He goes, okay, I'm driving. And oh shit, I crashed into something. And and then she goes, okay, that's enough. We'll call you whenever. uh, You're a great actor. We'll call you back. (laughs) It's so good. And I'm like, what happened to you, Michael Rappaport? But I love that because that shows it has some stuff within Hollywood about how hard it is to be an actor. And Dick is actually trying to make something out of nothing, which is hard. And he has a roommate that gets on his damn nerves. So you have a pretty good background of who you used to be before you got famous kind of situation. Yeah. If he gets famous. And then you have this friend that just calls out of the blue, just like how he did with his father. Because, hey, hey, Dick, man, did you did you read the letter? He's like, what letter? You know the letter. And goes, look, I got I got married. I'm married to this girl named Alabama. And all your money troubles are over. <laughs> all your money. <laughs> and Dick doesn't even know what to do because number one, he's on the toilet at that point, too. And he's like, what money prop? So what are you talking about? Right. No, I love that. I love that. That's what that's why I was like, man, Michael Rapp, what happened to you? You're funny throughout this entire movie. Right? Oh, and you and also that, feel that bad for him. Really, oh, sorry. What'd you say? You also feel bad for him too. Yeah, you feel bad he for Dick. into it, but I always think it's funny because, like I said, they're not criminals. So oh. the, well, the first thing I thought was stop driving a purple Cadillac. But then I was like, wait, you're not thinking like criminals. So you're writing letters. You're leaving a very distinct car driving around. Like you're, they're not thinking in criminal mode. They're just thinking oh. in who can I sell this to and and live my life and get rid of the cocaine, live my life the way I want to and be done with the whole entire situation. That's pretty much their logic. And and matter of fact, it's even, he even says it, even Clarence says it. I just want it easing in and out and that's it. Yep. One. Yeah. Cause Michael Rampour's like, I could move it piece by piece. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to do that. I just, let's just do one and done. Oh, and then once they finally do get somebody to possibly the, the middleman, when they hit the coke into his face, when the before the cop gets him, is one still one of the funniest scenes. I we're love gonna talk that about scene. that because I was a cr- I was cracking up laughing on that scene though too. Balky from oh, Perfect Stranger. Yes. The person I was watching it with because he was like, I've never seen it. He was like Balky, and I was like, what? And then he's like, that's Balky, and I was like, oh my god. And I started <laughs> laughing, but I was just like, oh my god, that is such a good scene. It is, uh, but you know, so at that point, you actually have that song. That's oh goodness, that's what I like being played in the background in the phone booth. They're having sex in the phone booth. Clarence and Alabama are, and there. Then there's Dick on the phone. He's like, "What the hell is going on? What do you mean right. money problems? Hello, hello." But did you okay? Did that part aggravate you, or did were you okay with that scene? Because for me, I was just laughing my ass off, having a good time with it. Oh, see, I thought that it, I think it drives home even more like we're newlyweds madly in love. And I really Mm -hmm. like that. But is that, do we get that phone call and then we cut back to the dad and Christopher Walken? Is that what happens? That's what happens. Yeah. Cause I was like, when does the mob start chasing him? But no, I felt like that. Because remember this, he gets off the phone with Dick. Then after that happens, 
they leave because the dad gives them some money to go over to California. And then that's when Clarence winds up giving him the address of Dick's house. Yes. Yeah. And then yes. Christopher Walken comes up, uh, comes in after his dad goes ahead and get, uh, comes back from his duty as an officer. And that's when we have that great dialogue that kind of reminds me of Inglorious Bastards. It's so good. It's so good back and forth. And the thing I like that's, that's when I really realized it was I was like, okay, I know what's about to be said, but I forgot for how long they both go back and forth about it. And you can tell that Dennis Hopper is not saying this to be a, a racist. He's saying this because he knows this will piss you off. Like this is going to make you mad. And I think that's why we don't get as angry with Dennis Hopper's character, even though it is wrong. But like, but even when Christopher Watkins comics, you can tell he's like, I haven't killed anybody since 1984. Like, you got to, you pissed him off. And it's, and I love that. And then like, we don't even see James Gandolfini. He's just like chilling in the background and the hits him a couple times. And then I was like, Oh yeah, you're here being great. What is every time this kept going on? I was like, I keep forgetting how many people are in this and how good this dialogue is. I cannot right. speak highly of it. And we're not going to get into the dialogue part because of the of stuff within not. it. No. But I like how he calls him a squash. Yes back to him after what he said over to Christopher Watkins character. And basically he just calls him gay. And that's what people in the mob is, is gay. That's yeah. what he was saying. And that really got under Christopher Watkins skin. Right. That's what that I mean. Point. Like, no, that's why we don't get as angry about what you're saying, because you, we know you're just trying to piss this mob off us. But once again, Den and then when he's, when Dennis Hopper says the line, now tell me, am I lying? is so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm just like, nope, this is great. Because at first I was just like, oh yeah, no, I know it's about to, but I was like, no, this is way longer than I remembered it being. And it's great back and forth. And that's the only time we see walking. Then he's just gone. That's what I don't understand. He should have had a bigger presence in this movie. I'm, I want to talk, I was going to ask you about this after, but I'm curious if, because if, I don't know if people knew this, but originally Quentin Tarantino, the Alabama that Mr. White talks about in Reservoir Dogs was supposed to be this Alabama. And that's were, what, that's basically what I got from it was that was this Alabama. Maybe there was supposed to be, maybe what I'm trying to say is maybe there was a couple of characters that he wanted to do more with later and then just didn't or couldn't. Well, this was actually supposed to be set in the eighties. Oh, this, yeah, this did get pushed up or pushed back, didn't it? Right, because this was supposed to be pushed into the 80s and instead it went, went into the 90s. But it definitely does have like an 80s kind of vibe to it at the same time, though, especially definitely. with the color schemes. And you also have the smoke that kind of enables the whole entire thing of this is like a fantasy kind of movie within this whole entire space of from Clarence's point of perspective. So that's yeah. what I got from it. Oh, no, for sure. And I that's. I just was like, I, I can't believe I, I kept waiting. I did think Christopher Walken popped back up. I was like, doesn't he come back for a little bit? And I was like, no, he doesn't. And I was like, oh yeah, Dennis Hopper, you're done. Like what? And how did you get these people to sign on? I guess it was because it was Tony Scott, but I still, I just still don't understand how this wasn't bigger. Right. Like, geez. But I also like how the henchman said, why did he kill him? Because yeah. because he called and he, this is what he winds up saying. He goes, he goes, he called Fin uh, Vincenzo uh, gay and us gay. Well, like so he killed him. Like, yep. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like they just like it's totally normal. <laughs> they act like just like in Pulp Fiction. Like they're on the job. They're like, oh, okay, let's okay. go. And then they're just like found the address for these idiots. 
Right. He goes, hey, Felinzo, uh, we actually have an address here. So now they go over to Los Angeles where uh, they're actually where Alabama and, uh, of course, you know, where oh. um, Clarence is going. Can I just say something really quick? I totally forgot or didn't even know, I guess, that Hans Zimmer did this score. And this score doesn't get the credit it deserves. This is like a fun little cute score that you just wouldn't think would work with this movie. And it does. And it's just fun and charming and lovely to listen to. It's kind of quirky because it brings out their characters and it brings it in the right time for me. Yes. And yes. for me, it brings it out in the right time because of the fact whenever you have the conversation between uh, Clarence and Alabama, it works. Yes. And the one thing this does do very well, and sometimes things drop the ball, and I, I bring this up a lot, is sometimes the absence of music and sound is louder than having it. And there's a couple times in this movie where it uses that very well. So after that, uh, Blue Lou Boyle, who had hired Draxel to steal the distributor of the cocaine on his behalf, he reveals that the mob knows about Clarence's death since they found his driver's license near Drexel's body, Clifford uh, realizing he will die anyways, Buckley defies Cotty, like we said, who shoots him in the head. One of his men then finds an L.A. address to Clifford's refrigerator. And then, of course, now we're in L.A. Clarence and Alabama meet Clarence's surprising actor friend Dick Ritchie, who introduces him to actor-producer assistant Elliot Blitzer. So this scene is like... Friends are, are arriving whenever they're not supposed to be arriving kind of situation because you yep. already have the annoying roommate. Then yep. you have the person who ends up arriving when they're not supposed to be arriving because you're not expecting them. Yep. And, you know, Dick wakes up because what the hell is going on over here? And so we, hey, how are you doing? This is Alabama. We told you all. Of, I told you all about her and everything. I'm crazy. We just got married. We're here, we're here to see you. And no, we I always like how it's boom, 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 boom. Like. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is going quickly and we're really going fast, but I that's that's the fun part about it too of like, no, we told you all about it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't tell me nothing about it. I'm like, what do you mean? You just called me and said five things and then started banging on the phone. Just like uh now he actually knows how his father felt because he did the same thing to his father. Yep. Yep. No, and the and whole time having Brad Pitt's character in the background is so funny and relatable i swear to god like we, we've all had that younger when we're that one roommate who's either doing nothing or annoying you or whatever or is just there to witness whatever's going on because they're right. there and then when they leave is my favorite part he goes hey can you pick up some some food and then some yeah. uh, the stuff he says after everybody leaves every time like when when oh, i almost said tony soprano when james gandolfini shows up and after he walks away he's like tell me what to do and like I, those are the best <laughs> little parts about him <laughs> I like it when he goes, "Hey, can you pick me up some of uh, some food? Pick us up some food and maybe some detergent, yeah, some cleaner." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! No, and yeah. Then- <laughs> so the mob starts coming after them. They're out in California. Oh yeah, they show up there and then they're going to the motel. Yeah, that's where they're going. Right. And so they go over to the hotel, and this is where. Basically, Dickie says, look, man, I know somebody that could probably move it, but it's not going to be the whole thing. It ha- it's going to be a little bit at a time. And he goes, no, it's going to be the whole thing or nothing at all. Yep. So they went on ahead. They set up the meeting with Balky because that's who I'm calling him. Yep. But he, but uh, producer Lee uh, Donowitz, while Clarence is out buying lunch, Cotty's enforcer, uh, Virgil, 
finds Alabama in her hotel and beats her for information. But before that, we if it wasn't for Brad Pitt's character, he would Virgil wouldn't have known where she was at. That's true. No, yeah, that is true. Because he's the one who says the Safari Motel. Yeah, that's right. true. He says, yeah. hey, have you seen them? Yeah, they were here like a few minutes ago. And yep. then, yeah, there was like a lot of people here. And then yeah. they left. And, and I will say this, that is one of the most like brutal scenes in a lot of things. So trigger warning for people, but mm-hmm. also the fact that, like I said, you see that Tony Soprano a bit where it's like, man, dude, you're so brutal, but you're also, you're not nice, but you're charismatic doing this at the same time. And even when he's like, you got heart kid and Alabama don't give up. She never sells Clarence out. She just keeps fighting back when she can, the way she can. And I always really love that, that she never sells him out. And the funniest part is once again, it's just sitting under the bed. Right. <laughs> just like in the beginning, <clears throat> why are you all leaving suitcases full of Coke just under your beds? Right. What are you doing? Well, another thing, too, is before we get over to that, too, there's actually another scene where they set where basically the producer friend, which is Balky, they set they go over to this um, amusement park and they instead of them, they're instead of them walking around in public talking about this. They go up to a roller coaster and start talking about it on a ride. Now, the funny thing is Michael Rappaport's actually sick. He cannot take he does not like roller coasters. Yeah. And he really does balcony. Were they really on one? They were really on one, right? Yeah, they were really yeah. on a roller yeah. coaster. And they didn't know during the time of shooting that they were going to do a roller coaster scene until like the next day. Imagine getting to work and then just being like, you're going to ride a roller coaster God knows how many times. Like, and hating them and, and throwing up on them. That would be right? I could just I could see Michael going, look, look, guys, just do right. this on one fucking take. I cannot yeah. take this yeah. anymore. That's it. I do not like roller coasters. I don't even know why I'm even here. And that's a ballsy thing to do. I I really, I don't know of another movie that does that. I don't know of another movie that does a full conversation on a roller coaster. Literally. Well, that just goes to show you how Clarence actually operates because of the fact that he's an amateur. He does not know this is not a place that you could do business. Right. And conduct business on. Yes, you block out the sound. Yeah, you don't, nobody notices. So it's kind of smart, but at the same time, it's also kind of dumb. Because it's almost like he's operating off of all of the movies that he watched. That he's seen. And exactly. That's what he's doing. And it's like, okay, bud, I don't think you need to do all that. But <laughs> that's even that's the thing, too, is even when he thinks like getting rid of all of that is a normal ask of somebody, where it's like, I'm sure we could all think of a friend or somebody who would want a personal amount, maybe. But it's like when you're like, oh, can you just get rid of all of this? That's a crazy thing to ask people. And he's like, right. Totally normal. Totally. I mean, not that the other one's normal either, but. It's like, well, wait, what? Like, no. Well, even the sleaze ball that's on, that's driving. Yeah. He said, look, man, that's a lot of pro- a production value that you have there. You're going to have to get more people on board to be a part of that a production. And they're talking in code. So yeah. I like how they're using t- movie titles, actors, oh, production. Yeah. yeah. And then even he even gets on to uh, Balky. I'm sorry I keep on using Balky, but (laughs) he keeps on using him. And he said, because why the hell would you call me on my cell phone? Yep. Yep. Talking about this. Yep. No. And it just shows how none of these people are in in this life, except for maybe the producer who. But I also think it's funny that they're acting like this is such a prevalent thing. 
Like it's just a normal thing that goes on in Hollywood. So it's like, yeah, I know somebody that can take that amount. Yeah. I know somebody that can do right. whatever. And really it's like, that's a crazy thing. <laughs> it's a crazy thing to ask. But going back on what you said about um, where we actually have this fight again with, uh, with Alabama mm-hmm. and Virgil. Okay. Did you know that she actually asked him to hit her? Dear Christ. No, she she literally no, asked him to hit her because yep. of the fact that she wanted the end of the mind right mindset. That's when he tell that's when he tells her to turn around at the b- beginning of it and then just dex her is so it just it the whole thing is brutal. But that's oh my god, it's rough. But it's like of all the actors, I might tell to like we're getting method here. I don't think it would be James Gandolfini. I know. To be honest like, with you, Virgil had three strikes against him. Number one, he didn't look under the bed for the cocaine. Strike two is when Ella, he tells Alabama to give him his best shot with the yep. corkscrew. You underestimated them. You got right. cocky. Yep. And I like the fact that you have a strong-willed character like Alabama to face off against him. And she, yeah. he pushed her through glass, through, yeah. through uh, the door glass of the hotel of the shower for crying I think out loud. Scariest, the scariest, most uncomfortable part of that entire scene is when she hits him with the bust and it doesn't do anything. That's no. it's like, oh my God. I'm this, in trouble. Yeah, that's this is going to get way worse. And as an audience, you're already like, oh my God, this is already so bad. But yeah, no, out of all the actors I think I'd ask to actually punch me in the face, it definitely wouldn't be James Gandolfini. No. And then... <laughs> At that time, you have this other moment where Clarence is basically looking at this other guy reading a Life magazine, and because it has Elvis on the front cover, he goes, "You know who I can't stand? Those Elvis fans." I'm yes, like, yes. I'm just like, what? You you do know who you are, right? And like you were saying, how they address like fandoms and stuff. Right. That's exactly what he starts saying, and it's it's like you you're talking about yourself. But I love that whole part of it, whether it's movies or comics or whatever. Elvis, and it's just like, no, that is how we. We feel we're like, no, this is, oh, you saw that Star view- Wars? I'll talk to you all about it. Right. But it also views us as someone that are fans of different franchises like Marvel, DC and stuff like that. Well, at least I'm not like those other fanboys yes. or anything like that. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to exclude himself from the other fans to make himself look better. Yes. No. And that <laughs> is a great scene. And it's just him out and about, which is a totally well, I mean, yeah, totally normal thing. You after well, after your deal, you're grabbing food chatting with somebody in the restaurant, uh, trying to make your way back to the hotel. And then it's like, you just come back to this carnage that went down and it's wild. And when Alabama finally gets him like down and out, it's, it's when she unloads that shotgun, it's such a cathartic scene. It's so well done. Cause you're just like, okay, you hit him. Okay. You got him. But then it's like totally unload that clip. It's, it's such a cathartic moment as an audience. Like it's better than, I feel like that's the best one in the entire movie. Like, Right. It's great. But then after that happens, Clarence winds up coming into the hotel. It's very smoky. You can definitely tell that this is actually one of those scenes that they use in the 90s where they use a lot of smoke screen oh, for yeah. this kind of thing, which I really thought it in. To be honest with you, I thought it actually added more to the scene. And so he pulls her out of there and he attends to her wounds. And I like how he's over there. He has the goss. They're sitting on this couch very in Los Angeles. I believe that might have belonged to the craft. I don't know. I'm just picking around with that. But anyways, um, he's sitting. They're sitting down on the couch and attending to her wounds. And then she and he's like, "Well, if anybody asks, you got hit in the face with uh, uh, during basketball." 
Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, with Dick, just looks at her. No, but <laughs> once again, like, even when they're leaving the hotel, they're just like, no, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to get out of here. No matter what, it's still me and you. And I, I love that about this, that we never lose sight of this is it. It's just it me. It's me and you against everything else. I really do love you and you really do love me. And every situation they get put in just always lands there. And like I said, even when they're leaving that terrible situation and he's holding her in the car, it's like, I don't know whether to cry or be like, hell yeah, because it's it's such a cathartic moment. Right. But at this point, this is the part you were talk- talking about, though. Ellie is pulled over for speeding and gets charged when his mistress spills a bag of cocaine. Well, that's putting it lightly in my notes. She winds up taking... It's so good. When she's like, I'm not putting that in my purse. And he's like, come on, I'm not putting that in my purse. And just the way they're talking come about on, it... Come on, just like, put it in your purse. We're going to get like caught with this. You were asking me to put, like, a camera in my bag. Like, and, right. and, and she's Speaking like, no. a blow, she was going to give him a blow, a BJ, as he's yeah. doing blow. Yeah. And they get caught, and then they wind up getting pulled over. This reminds me of GTA. In so many ways, I'm on uh, Vice City when... On this one part, I, I got Vice City vibes off of this. And I think the best part of it is that they don't even show the conclusion with the cop. They just have no. it happen, and we don't even get to, like, let me see your license and registration. That's what makes it even better. Well, for us as an audience, I don't think we needed to see that because we no, already know no. Elliot yeah, is in deep shit. Exactly. We already know that. So exactly. we don't need to see all that because we already know he's going to he's going to prison. He's going to jail. Exactly. And I There's and power all over his nose, his mouth. Yeah, you're going to jail. There's no way they can actually uh, say that was sugar on your mouth. Yeah, when she slaps the bag and it goes everywhere it, and just starts laughing at him, it's great. It's hilarious. And that is, I always say this, like, show us, don't tell us. And that's a perfect way to do it. We don't need to hear the cop. But I do think it makes the scene funnier that we don't even have him come up fully to the vehicle. It's like, we already know you're screwed. And this was hilarious. Exactly. And then he then Elliot is making a deal with the cops at this point. And, and Chris Penn shows up. Yeah. And Tom Sizemore. And I was not expecting them, to be honest with you. I've actually reviewed uh, Best of the Best. And he was actually in that movie, too. He played like the racist cowboy from Texas. I, I just totally forgot they were there at all. And then I was just like, oh, yeah, you're here, too. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Elliot. Right. Making the deal with them. Yeah. And I love that we have the mob on their way. The cops now know. Mm-hmm. And then even the producer has their own bodyguards and insecurity. And, and I really love that whole dynamic. And like we were saying in the beginning of this, you think this story is going to go one way. And then it turns and turns and turns and keeps on turning. Right. Because we're thinking, oh, this deal is actually going to work. But then you're like, hold on, pump the brakes because the mob just visit the Brad Pitt. And this is actually and he's actually uh, smoking a bong out of out of something. And he goes, hey, do you want to stay? Yeah. And, when he and asked smoke with me? smoke a bowl? <laughs> that's totally something a stoner friend would say to some random person. Do you know where they're you know where your friend Dick is and where your friend Clarence is at? Oh, they're at some hotel. Um, do you know the directions? Yeah. Uh I think it I think it's somewhere. Um the best part is that nobody acknowledges Floyd. Like they no. have no clue that Floyd is the one giving out all of this information throughout the entire Floyd day. had a busy day. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's but just like, being helpful. That's all it, for him. He was just being like a helpful guy. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm helping out. These people right. show up. No, and I love that. The, the poor guy. He just wanted someone to spoke with. That's all he wanted. Right. He was like, what is going on? And then that's, of course, when poor Floyd gets shot. I'm actually surprised that uh, James Gandolfini's character didn't kill him. Yeah. I can, yeah. I, like, just, just to tie up loose ends or whatever. Yeah. I could see. But, yeah. But I guess he figured, well, this guy's a stoner. There's yeah, no reason to actually kill him. He's not even going to remember me being yeah. here. I think he was like, you're kind of a moron. And I don't want to have the cleanup, maybe. Right. That's what I'm thinking. So... At that point, this is where we actually have everything that ties in together. Because he, number one, you have Elliot who wants, who's going to try and wear a wire to get set his sentence reduced. And then I love the cops. I just love the cops oh, yeah. all together. Showing the incompetence there and kind of how they're like, no, you'll be fine. We do this a million times. But then we show them going like, what do we do if they shoot him? They're going to shoot him. He's going to shoot him. What do we do? And then it's just like, you guys, you guys just lied to this man, but they're hilarious. And when they're just like, I like this Clarence guy, they're, they're us going like, I'm kind of cheering for him. But the way Christian Slater goes crazy in the elevator, I was like, Oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. And then he's just like, I'm sorry, buddy. It's like, (laughs) sometimes you really do think Clarence might be out there and you don't know. And then, but it's still like, I'm still cheering for you, but he gets pretty wild in that scene. Right. And you know what, though? My favorite Elliot thing is like, do I look like a beautiful blonde woman with big tits? I have that in, have that in my notes because I, I, I literally have total Tarantino. And then I have that down. And then I also have this one down. Hi, how are you? My name is Elliot and I'm the Club Scouts of America where we're selling uncut cocaine to get the jamboree going. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, and, but like, even the way that when he first comes into the producer's uh, penthouse. And starts talking to him about the movies, and he—it's—I'm just like this. This is literally just Quentin Tarantino talking. Like this is just him going like, "No, we don't have these movies anymore." And I want to see this. And I want to see that. And remember this. And remember that. And I love it. I love it. And it's great. And it's great dialogue either way. But especially nowadays, I was like, "Oh no, this is just total Tarantino venting in this dialogue." And I don't hate right. it. I love it. This is Tar- Tarantino wrapping everything up, basically. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, uh, then after that, he winds up, uh, let's see, Clarence, Alabama, Dick, and Elliot go to uh, Donowitz's suit at the Ambassador's Hotel with the drugs. In the elevator, a suspicious Clarence threatens Elliot at gunpoint, but is persuaded by Elliot's pleading for mercy. And he asked him, are you wearing a wire? I think you're wearing a wire. And he goes, and then... Uh, and it's no no brainer that Elliot is wearing a wire because it's oh god please help me get out of this right and he's like are you wearing a wire yeah I'm wearing a wire I'm wearing a wire and he's like okay <laughs> yeah, and then once again showing like Clarence what are you doing what are you doing like you really don't know what you're doing and you're acting like a movie character you are really just going off of that that's all you have here and then you have the cops going i love this fucking guy i love yeah. this Clarence guy it's great no it <laughs> is it's great and what if because they even when they when they first get in there what is elliot doing elliot's like 
act, Elliot just goes right back to just acting afraid and everything. And nobody says anything. Nobody's like, this is weird. Let's right. keep going with it. And I think that really adds to it. It's, it's one of those scenes where you don't know whether to laugh, be nervous or whatever it is. Exactly. Because you don't, you're nervous for Elliot. You're not sure if Elliot's going to even make it out of there alive or not. Oh yeah. And then we see all the cops and we're nervous for Clarence and them. We don't know what's going to go on there. Then we see the mob coming in and it's like, which way is this going? And, you know, then it goes into full circle at that point because, okay, is it just me or does this guy, Donna Witz kind of reminds you of like Harvey Weinstein in a way, but also too, uh, the director for this movie also had a beef war with Joe Silver at that time. Ooh, okay. So he didn't like Joe Silver. So basically, he kind of wrote that in uh, as a rewrite, I believe. I'm not okay. Wrong. God, that's kind of funny, though. Like, I mean, right. not funny, but like terrible. But yeah, I'm taking shots at you in my movie. Also, maybe right. that's why it didn't do as well. Maybe some people were actively working against it a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I mean, that might, but I think it does have Harvey Weinstein kind of vibes to it because it's ahead of its time kind of he thing. He's very uh, adamant when he did not like people, but like you said, who knows? That might right. I, I, that could be totally made up, but it's like he had a tendency to take, come for people a lot. Right, and then I like how Clarence fabricates this, the story of Donowitz that the drugs were given to him by a corrupt cop and yeah. he reads to the seal and he goes, wait, so Elliot tells me that there was this corrupt cop on the force and he gave you this cocaine. Well, he wasn't a corrupt cop. He was a nice cop. He was just got caught up in some things. And after that, he's actually describing himself to yeah. this guy. And that's the way I saw it. I saw him as him confessing himself the fact, hey, look, man, I got caught up in some stuff that I wasn't supposed to get caught up in. Exactly. And, and now I'm caught up with this cocaine. I just need you to get me out of this situation that I got myself into. Yeah. That you're never going to have to see me again type deal. Right. No, so I definitely, I definitely think that Clarence is playing. I don't want to say pl- he's playing make believe a little bit with his own real life. That's kind of what's going on here. <laughs> that's really pu- uh, that's that's really good improv for him on uh, his real life situation. Also, what happened to Christian Slater? Why was he killing it in the nineties and then stopped being in things? He was in Heather's and this and a bunch of stuff. And then I'm like, what happened to you? That's what I want to know. Oh, in well. the Vampire, yeah. Then after that winds up happening, excusing himself to the bathroom. Uh, then this is also what Donna Wood said. Hey, do you want to count the money? He goes, nah, uh, Bama can go ahead mm-hmm. and count the money. And at that point, you actually have another scene once again with Elvis in him talking. And you're like, oh, my God, this guy's a little bit loony here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot loonier than we thought, but we're rooting for him anyways. Yes. Yeah. No, that's the point where you hit where you're like, are we still cheering for him? I think we are, right? And then you're like, yeah, yeah, we are, we are. But I always thought it was interesting that she took the money because I was like, wait, then you guys didn't technically do the transaction. Like, you gave one thing, but then you gave the money to somebody else. So technically, right. I don't know what's going on there. But, hey, what do I, that ends up not even being a part of it. Like, I remember when I first was watching, and I'm like, oh, yeah, wouldn't that be? And then I'm like, oh, wait, that doesn't even come into play because the cops burst in. When the one guard says, no, I just hate cops, I thought that was kind of funny because it's like, right. they really have, the guards really have no reason to fight back except for that. And it's like, and then okay. he, Well, even Donovan is like, man, put your guns, guns down. The cops are here because there's only one thing I forgot to tell you. 
Yeah. I hate fucking cops. Right. It, it, it reminds you of like an action movie. It's like, there's only one thing I got to say. Yeah. I hate fucking cops. But it worked. <laughs> but, it's like, okay, you believe this man. You believe it the way he says it. He's not going to back down either. No. So then we have these three different factions coming at each other. And in the kerfuffle, our favorites get away. And it's like, it's the best. I love that part. I Because normally they don't. Normally, if no. it's a Bonnie and Clyde situation, they're normally criminals. They're normally going to get taken out. It's a Tony Montana mob story, whatever. They normally are their own falling but this couple isn't like that they didn't want none of this so it's like hell yeah they finally get away in the end it's great we're gonna talk about that in a minute because there's actually an, an extended thing that they were gonna do with that Ooh, that, that got deleted because uh, and everything but we're gonna talk about that in a minute oh, Elliot man. reveals himself to be an informant by asking the cops if he could leave whereupon a shootout erupts Dick throws the suitcase of the drugs in the ear, breaks shreds by gunfire, and flees. Donna yep. Witz, his bodyguard, Elliot, the cops, and the mobsters are killed. And Clarence is wounded as the exit in the bathroom. And you know what, though? I'm glad that Dick got away. Yeah. Because he was just an innocent bystander. Right. It was just... He was just someone that got caught up in something and wanted to no part of it. Because if you remember... Uh, let's see here. Hey, Rogers, I enjoyed the review and the conversation. I'm so glad that you're enjoying this. I really am. But if you remember in this other situation before they leave Floyd's house, you see where you have Dick. He goes, hey, Clarence, wait. And there's that moment of hesitation. Yeah. And I think it's like the fact because don't forget, he does get the call saying that he got the part. Right. Yeah. And so I'm so this is what I am thinking that he was just going to go ahead. Hey, look, man, I set this deal up for you. I don't want to be a part of this. You're on your own. Yeah. And this is probably going to be on his way to stardom. This is probably going to be where he wanted to be at in yeah. his life. Even if it was like a B role, at least he got a role that he's been wanting to do. He. And so he just earnestly wanted it. <laughs> he just right. genuinely earnestly wanted it, whether it's this little thing or a big thing. And he, and yeah, he just gets roped into some shit his friends are doing that he didn't know. And I think they say they've known each other since they were really little. So this is like somebody you've known your whole entire life. And they're like, now we're here. Let's go. <laughs> like, right. let's do it. So I was always glad he got away too, but I do always enjoy the fact that Clarence is in the bathroom the whole time. Like he's not in the middle of everything. He's legit in the bathroom. Right. Like, and he's talking thing. to Elvis. Yeah. Avoiding the entire conflict almost. And he just, well, I like how Clarence just looks around like what the hell happened? Exactly. And, and then he looks at Bam, I gets her out of there, gets the suitcase, walks out with the money. Like nothing even happened. Mm -hmm. And walks past the guards, uh, the, the cops walks past everybody and they walk out into the sunset. Yeah. And I think that's the, like, very rarely do we just get that cute, happy ending at the end of something like this. That I love it. I love it every single time because you're holding your breath. The, from the time the shootout starts, you're just holding your breath. And you're like, what's going to happen to the two we started with? And then when you're right. like, okay, they're getting out of the hotel. They're getting in the car. Oh, my God. They're, they're driving away. Oh my God, they made it and they're alive. And you're just like, we could finally be at ease now as an audience. And it's great. 
It really is. And it's like all that tension is now gone. You actually have the other cop that winds up shooting the other gangster for shooting his partner because he died. So you have that being closed out. Then you have, but the only thing I have to say is Bama kind of took a back seat a little bit because she used to be, she was the upfront and center for the all the way through this whole entire movie. Yeah. And then she kind of just is there just to be there. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Yeah. No, I, that she's kind of just stuck there for the last part of it for sure. No, definitely. And cause she's kind of just down on the ground for a minute and right. then they, yeah, then he comes out, they get hit and then they take off. Cause I'm just like, no, you're right. I would agree with that. I wish she kind of had more of an input or at least something. But then I didn't I always forget that they put on the ending of like them happily with a family at the end. Right. Like we get it, that right. flash forward. And I love that. And normally I kind of hate that, but I really like it in this where it's just like I fell for you, you fell for me. It's genuine. And, and here right. we are. And don't forget, this is actually where they were talking about. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be? And Alabama says Cancun. And so this is actually where we leave off at. He and Alabama escape with Donowitz's money as more police arrive. They flee to Mexico, where Alabama gives birth to her to a son, whom they name Elvis. I love that. I love it. I don't care. <laughs> now, I love it. This is where I'm going to tell you that they changed the ending to this. Okay. Originally. Clarence was going to die. I don't think I would have liked that. Right. And at first, Tarantino didn't like this ending with them ending in in Cancun. But over the years of him thinking about things, he definitely definitely started liking the ending the way it was. Okay. No, because I can definitely see, because like I was saying, normally you don't get that. We normally don't get somebody doing something bad getting what they want but these characters are so genuine i do think that they deserve their happy ending i don't know if i would have hated it if like she had a kid and was in cancun without him but no that happy ending of them and her watching her kid and him play on the beach that's the it's just this it's a perfect little cherry on top of this movie it really is i love it definitely i love it this is actually hands down one of my favorite movies uh, to watch, uh, we watched this twice so that way I can get all the all the stuff that I wanted to get from it. Um, this movie is not streaming anywhere right now, as far as I yeah. know. I had to rent it. I had to rent it. It was like three. I mean, I think it was like three bucks, but still. I bought this. This is the steel book. I actually bought the steel book because I love this movie so much that I had to do it. Not only that, but this is also an underrated film. Oh yeah, for sure. So I had to. I had to buy this. I don't care if it's cost me like 53 bucks. It was worth it. No, it is. It's awesome. And but yeah, no, with everything you got with it too, that's aw- it, That's, that's so cool. It's definitely awesome. I definitely enjoy this film. I'm so glad that we got a chance to review this film. Uh, like I said, this is actually one of the movies that I reviewed when I first opened up the channel. I did a solo review on it and now I'm actually getting a chance to geek out with somebody that loves it more than I do. So no, that's actually- awesome. And thank you for, I, that's so cool that isn't it fun doing things like that when you're like, man, yeah. I did this once before, but now I'm kind of better at it and met people. And it really is, I, this really is such a good movie. And I was so happy when you were like, Oh, do you want to do true romance? I was like, hell yeah. I want to do true romance. I'm so <laughs> down to do true romance and it's not talked about enough. No, it's definitely not. And I remember, uh, like I said, Jamie in the in the front row, which is another YouTuber that I actually have as a friend. She's yeah. like, oh, you guys are going to do a chick flick? Give her the synopsis. Never mind. 
Yeah, yeah, I rem- I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was one. Like my uncle would always do this. Like he was one I watched The Exorcist with, and like everything else. And then my mom's like, "What?" But I'm pretty sure he was the one who was like, "Because remember when you used to go to the to the block to the blockbuster and you could explain a movie to somebody?" I, I love those days. That was the best. I had the, the five star system. Yeah, no, it sucks. But I remember, I remember, I hate it now that you can't have somebody to like converse, converse with. But I remember being at the counter and him explaining that one and the burbs. And he was like, you don't know what I'm talking about. And somebody like in the background working was like, I know what you're talking about. It's right over here. And it was the best part of going there. But I, I, I do remember that being one of them. And I do remember him being like, I think there was more in this than I thought. And that one in Freeway. I remember that was another one where I was like, should I be watching this? This is kind of rough. But speaking of other uh, other movies I'm going to be reviewing, uh, coming up on Wednesday, 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, I'm going to be re- reviewing Almost Famous with my good friend Soda. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm, I'm just about to make mom watch that. Yeah. Seen uh, it. It's so good. It definitely is. I didn't even know there was like a bootleg cut of it where it was oh. like a, a director's cut. So I watched the director's cut. I prefer the theatrical cut over the bootleg really? cut. I think that streaming, if people want to know on on Paramount or Peacock or one of those, because it's it's it is streaming on something, but right one of those. But yeah, I am going to be doing that with Soda. He's actually the part of the Multiverse of Geekdom channel, and so we're going to be doing that eight o'clock time, nine o'clock Eastern time over on this channel on Wednesday night. So go ahead, tune in for that. Uh, Abby, do you have anything going on as far as yourself? Oh, I got my channel, YouTube, Motor City Nerds, and then I've been Twitch. I'm on Twitch playing games a lot lately. Uh, Right now we're just doing, oh, Succession. I'm covering Succession. That's my big thing right now. But yeah, other than that, it's just kind of willy-nilly, here we go. But yeah, I'm trying to stream more on my gaming channel, but yeah. Okay. And of course, if you guys want to... I'm sorry. You're welcome anytime. No, no, no. It's fine. And of course, guys, if you guys want to, we do have an audio only podcast and stuff like that, too. So if you're on the go and you can't watch our show, you guys can catch that on the go for the audio format. So with that being said, I'm going to be closing out the show. I hope that thank you for everybody tuning in tonight. I do appreciate that so much. Thank you for everybody in the comment section. Thank you to my co-host, Rozzy, for commenting. Thank you for Brian Ruse for commenting. And thank you, A. Rogers, for commenting as well. And that's going to do it for the show. And always until next time, guys. Bye-bye.